favorite song was, you'd get such a wide, uh, diverse answer that you wouldn't, wouldn't really know which one it would be. But I think it might be back to Amazing Grace at this point. But we're going to stand and sing together, Victory in Jesus. Will you stand as we sing this hymn? I heard an old, old story How the Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his glory Of his precious blood's atoning And I repented of my sin Good evening. It's good to see you back in the Lord's house this Sunday evening. Hope you've had a 
restful afternoon and did what the Bible tells us to do and take this as a day of worship and rest and, and you were able to do that today. Got a couple of announcements I want to share with you and then we'll spend a moment to welcome one another and just a fellowship together. Of course, uh, because we're back in here, we realize that Monday Night Live is over and we'll be back in uh, the chapel for the remainder of uh, the summer if, as it's rapidly growing to a, or coming to a close. We'll be in here till right after Labor Day. And uh, so in preparation for things getting back in gear for schools, uh, this coming Wednesday, our children's choir leaders, if you're a part of that group and you'll be helping to lead choirs uh, this coming year, then uh, you're having a, a mock training session, and, and I think there's some new curriculum that Gary has developed for our children's choir. So 6 o'clock Wednesday in Memorial Social Hall, you'll be doing that. And also our regular choir, adult choir rehearsal resumes on Wednesday evening. We've been practicing on Monday before Monday Night Live during July, but that all goes back to Wednesday. This coming Saturday, we're actually hosting a statewide WMU leadership training event uh, from 8 until noon. So if you pass by the church and see uh, a lot of cars and things going on, you'll know that we're uh, hosting a statewide event there for WMU training. This coming Monday evening at 7 o'clock is our regular monthly deacons meeting for this month. Uh, then a couple of things that are into September but need attention now. And uh, one you saw a little video about this morning, our men's retreat, uh, September the 16th through the 18th. But, uh, if, man, if you'd like to go on that, you need to sign up by the 28th of this month. So uh, talk to somebody. Talk to John Hughes or somebody that's been on the men's retreat. If you want more information about it, uh, I know you'll get a blessing from going. And also, it's not too many weeks before our women's celebration on September the 13th. Uh, so if you need more information about that, ladies, or if you want to have a table and reserve that, uh, get in touch with Ms. June Branch, and she can give you that information. So those are the things that are uh, coming up, and just want you to be aware of those. Uh, if you're a, a guest with us tonight, we want to welcome everyone especially, but if you're a guest and uh, this is your first time to worship here at First Baptist, we're glad that you're here, and we just want you to know that. And so the way we do that, a couple of things we do. One is ask you to remain seated a moment when our members stand, and that'll make it easy for us to find you and to greet you properly. It'll also make it easy for our ushers to find you and give you some information about First Baptist Church. You take that and learn more about us, and to help us learn a little bit more about you, if you don't mind completing the VISTA registration form that you'll find in that packet and returning it to us during the offering time, we would appreciate that very much. So if you are a guest tonight, please remain seated while our members stand to greet you. I'm Wayne Whittle, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tifton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. But I'd submit to you that there are three components to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. The first is worship. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a church gourd. you know that? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He says... He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. If Jesus saw it fit to come to church, maybe we should too make it a matter of importance. The second component is discipleship. After all, it wasn't Jesus and the twelve dudes, it was Jesus and the twelve disciples. Remember the familiar verse, Matthew 28, 19, he said, Therefore go and make disciples. There's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common, and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. 
You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by if you need prayer or if you'd like more information. It's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. we got a chair waiting on you. You know, it's something to realize that people have been doing that here for over 100 years. And uh, we are in that, that procession of folks who have faithfully served and worshiped God in Tipton, Georgia, that length of time. Part of what they've done for 100 years is pray. And uh, as we lead up to that, as far as we know, we have no hospitalized church members Tonight, we want to remember Bill Bowen, who was hospitalized the early part of the week, uh, has some fluid in his lung, but went home um, with a little bit of congestive heart failure and pneumonia. We want to remember him as they care for him at home now. Uh, And also coming up, Sue Perry uh, is having knee replacement surgery tomorrow, I think she told me. And Barbara Coburn is starting her chemo tomorrow. Let's also, um, I see Drew Diffie here with us tonight. I think he is... Uh, what do you call it, being sent, sent off and being stationed and, and going to Fayetteville and then eventually to Bahrain? Is that correct? So we want to remember, want to remember him. And also I understand Jonathan Layfield is uh, being deployed as well. So we want to remember him too. Um, I had some folks this morning who uh, asked us to pray for students in school, um, not only Tiff County and Tift area, but also uh, those coming to ABAC and those going off to, to other colleges and universities. It's a, a natural time of transition, and when that happens, it's, uh, it can be a frightening time for the students. It's an anxious time for the parents, um, and it's just an opportunity for us to pray for, for those families and for those students as they begin a new semester. So let's pray now uh, for all these whose concerns have, have been surfaced. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that, that as far as we're aware, we have no hospitalized in our church family. And we praise you for that. And we just thank you for your concern and your healing mercy and power that are poured out upon us daily. We pray for Bill Bowen at home, Lord, as he continues to recuperate. Just give him strength. We pray for Sue Perry as she undergoes surgery tomorrow. Barbara Coburn as she begins chemo. And, and others who have ongoing uh, treatments and procedures uh, for special needs and illnesses. Father, we pray for Drew Diffie as he prepares to deploy. And Jonathan Layfield and others who are serving even now over in the Middle East. Lord, we pray that you will bless and protect them. Keep them safe and um, help us to continue to remember them and their families as they protect our country and and the way of life that we've come to enjoy and so often take for granted. We pray also for our students who are beginning school this week, some in public schools, some in private schools, some in different levels of education. But every student, Lord, needs your presence with them to open their minds to learning, to apply themselves to the best of their abilities, to be protected from outside forces that would assail them in this natural time of transition. 
Lord, be with them and surround them with good and loving Christian friends who can continue to uphold them and encourage them in the way they should go. Father, be with us in worship here tonight. We thank you that we're gathered in your name and we have the assurance of your presence with us. Let all that we say and do honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. We've had several mission trips. Come on, Bill. And uh, we're going to start reports because we think it's important. Part of the reason for mission trips is to go and make a difference where they are, is to have an impact on those who go, and then it's also for us as, as the body who sends them to uh, be edified and encouraged and informed and moved toward missions ourselves. So Bill's going to come and get us started. I was supposed to introduce uh, these folks. A lot of y'all know, most of y'all that come regular know that uh, my wife has uh, had an opportunity and has really felt called to go to China for the last 17 or so years. I don't even know how many years. It's just like every, for, forever. And um, so, but this year she had take, uh, took with her five uh, students. So we're going to have the students share tonight. And the ones that went were uh, Sarah Catherine Bowen, uh, Eric Cardosa, Sarah Harper, Victoria Guo, and Leah Richardson. So I'm going to ask them to come. And I would ask you one other thing. Um, Dana is also, uh, just, so, uh, just so y'all can pray for her, Dana is going to be going to China again in September, about the middle of September till about the middle of November. So she's going to be actually with Carol Topping. And um, so please remember them. It's, uh, I think what they're doing is really exciting. But anyway, I want, uh, Victoria is going to come first and share about her experience in China. They were there for a little over five weeks, I think. And then Leah is going to come and share what? Uh, God did through her and what she saw in China. Victoria. Hey guys, I hope y'all are having a good day. <laughs> um, um, like Bill said, I got to go to China this summer um, for almost all of June. And God has blessed me with like a lot of opportunities this summer. And that was one really big opportunity because I got to go and I got to see family members that I haven't seen in maybe over six years. And I got to establish relationships that I believe are like lifelong relationships with people, like friendships. And um, I also got to go and like tell others about all these people that got to, I mean, I got to go and tell others about God and like about the life that they can have and the relationship, the really great relationship that they can have with him. And um, the work that we did while we were over there mainly was um, at a school and we taught English at a college uh, every Monday and Tuesday for sometimes all day, I believe. And we taught four classes. Um, about each day and we would like teach them about the American culture because it was like a cultural exchange and then like every chance we got we would incorporate like things that we could tell them about Jesus and um, while we were over there there were many things that like Satan could have done to stop us from doing what we could do like there's tons of people over there if any of (laughs) if anyone has been to New York or something it's like that everywhere you go there's people constantly like on the streets constantly moving And so whenever we need to get somewhere, because where we were staying was at the old college campus. They were starting to rebuild a new college campus, maybe 30 minutes away from the old college campus. And so we would have to get get over there to, like, teach or sometimes, like, 
just to go to English Corner, which was like practicing English with the students. And we would have to find ways to get over there. And he always provided a way for us to get over there, whether it was if it was like taxis or a bus that would come to the old campus and eventually end up at the new campus. And like just like every single day, every single day, like we didn't have a problem getting where we needed to go. And um, we also had a concert while we were over there. And Leah sang with her beautiful voice. And um, that was really important because, like, a lot of the kids over there, they don't hear that kind of stuff because they grow up with a kind of mindset that, like, they need to just work really, really hard, and that's all that they have to do to get through life. And that's really not what life's about. And so um, this concert was really important because, like, they could hear, like, this music because, like, the American culture is really important to them. They, like, really look up to Americans. And so whenever we were over there and, like, Leah was singing all these songs and playing the piano, like, they could hear, like, parts of things that came from America and also, like, get to hear God trying to speak to them and reach out to them through these songs. And so that was really, really important. And, I mean, when we did all these things, like, whenever, like, Satan could have tried to stop us, like, from getting to where we needed to go, like I said earlier, um, you can't help but remember the verse in Romans 8.31 where it says, like, if God is for us, then nothing can stand against us. And that's what I always tried to remember while I was over there because, like, since God is on our side as Christians, like, nothing could stand against us. Satan couldn't. Um, taxis, buses couldn't. All these people couldn't. And their society over there, like, the way they're raised up, nothing could stand against us while we were over there. And so that was really important. And tonight, coming up here, was kind of nerve-wracking for me because, I don't know, I just it's just hard seeing all of y'all and, like, talking to you. And so, but earlier when we were singing Victory in Jesus, while we were in China, for some reason that had come to be not like a joke, but something that we always, like, yeah, like a theme song to, like, our trip over there. And, I mean, I guess it kind of related to me because my name's Victoria, so Victory and Jesus. <laughs> and so um, that song, when we were singing it earlier, that was kind of perfect because since I was so nervous, you know, God was, that was like to me, God telling me that I'm here for you and um, you don't have to be nervous to come up here and talk to, like, all, your, all these people. Like, I'll be here and um, if you need me, you know, you can just come to me. So that was really important. So I just thank him for, like, all these things that he's given me and all these opportunities that he's given me to go to all these people and tell them about how awesome God is. Okay, so uh, like Victoria said, uh, we started out most days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we started out uh, getting up pretty early and we had to go to a bus. We had to be at a bus, I think, at 8. I don't even remember. 7.45 or 7.30. I don't know. Really early. And on Mondays, which is that's really early. And on Mondays, what we did was we stayed all day. And what's really awesome about China and Chinese culture is their lunch break is from 11 until 2. And so we would go to students' uh, dorms because we made a lot of friends with the students. And we would sleep on their beds, which was literally wood like this and a bamboo mat over it. And, but they were so nice, and they were so gracious to let us sleep in their own beds. 
And um, what we did was we taught them baseball, some cultural exchange, and we also taught them the cha-cha slide and some singing things. And like Victoria said, we had a concert. And basically, though, the whole point of China was just to make relationships with people. And to me, China was not that different than America uh, because the people over there are just awesome. And whenever we stepped off, we, we went like, through a crazy train ride to get to Ningda. I've never been on an overnight train with other people before, but at least I can say I did that. And we got to Ningda, and all these friends of Dana's just came, and they all, like, it was late at night. I don't even remember what time it was, but it was late at night, and all these people came to um, get us to where we were supposed to be. We rode on some people's motorcycles in the back of vans on top of our luggage. And these people, as soon as I stepped off, I was like, oh, my gosh, this feels like home. These people are so gracious. And um, they're actually gracious. They all gave us gifts. This is, I'm wearing my gift, actually, (laughs) from some of the girls over there. But the really cool thing, I think, about China was just making relationships with people because that's not different than what we do here. And it really showed me that all you have to do whenever you want to witness to people, because we're called to witness. If you're in China or if you're here, it doesn't matter where you are. We're all called to be missionaries. And so I just learned to ask people, you know, what did you think about that? How, what do you think about that? And they just opened up. And we taught a lot, um, us four girls, Victoria, SK, Sarah, and me, with these other three girls that we became really close to. And I just remember we all talked to them about how God, you know, God loves you so much. And they, it was just almost like a foreign concept to them. And God taught me so much because it was like he was speaking through me. And I know he was because half the time I couldn't remember what I said. So, of course, it was he he had to have been speaking through me. And it really taught me that. um, And I love China. And I I wish I was there now. But I'm here right now. And so wherever I am, I'm supposed to be a missionary. And all I have to do is just ask him to speak through me. But I just, I really want to tell all of you that, um, we really are supposed to be missionaries here or wherever you are. And not to get lazy or but to get comfortable in our faith, coming to church and then going home and, and you know, grow a lot. That's great. But also don't forget to reach out to everyone else and to really show God's love because and then that's really all we have and that's really all we have to give to other people. And when we do, they will receive it and uh, they'll see us as different. And whenever we were leaving, Dana said, all these people came to see us off. They caught seeing you off. And all of these people came to the bus station. And some people we had hardly even met. And one was like a random taxi driver that Dana met that came. And um, some other people that Eric met and played soccer with. And we were all boo-hoo and crying leaving. And it just showed me so much. And Dana said, see y'all, whenever there's light and darkness, people are attracted to it. And it wasn't our light. Of course, it was Jesus Christ's light. But um, there's also darkness here. Um, but it's okay because Jesus is the light, and we just have to let him live through us um, so other people will have light too. Thank you. Well, part of being a Christian means uh, going to a- another country and sharing the gospel to those who've never heard. It also means responding to needs wherever we find them. 
And uh, we sent a couple teams over to Tuscaloosa right after the um, hurricanes passed through, tornadoes. And um, Melinda Moore was one of those on those one of those teams, and she's going to come and, and share with us her experience in Tuscaloosa. I asked Wayne this morning if I could have 30 to 45 minutes, but lucky for him, my printer ran out of ink. <laughs> and Victoria, I agree, this is nerve-wracking standing up here. Um, but when John advertised this mission trip in the Beacon, he put it as a family mission trip. So that kind of got me excited. And uh, when we gathered up here on Friday evening to leave, we had a very diverse group. We had mothers and fathers and children to probably about from eight to... 15, 14, something like that. Uh, we had single young guys with us. So as we went throughout the weekend, we bonded, and we talked a good bit about what, why we were there, what, what was the reason we chose to go on that mission trip. And, of course, a lot of the parents were there because they wanted their children to see what it meant to give and, uh, you know, without any regard for their, for their own selves. But then we had another example was we had a couple that had their family had been touched by a tornado, their own home had been flooded, and they just had had people to respond to them. They had had churches, the Georgia Baptist emergency team to come and help them. So they kind of felt like that was their opportunity to give back. We even had a young single guy, which I was kind of shocked he was there. I would say he was probably 28 or 29. And he just felt moved that, you know, he kept seeing the TV and all the destruction in Tuscaloosa, so he felt moved that he needed to do something. So as we rolled into Tuscaloosa about, uh, by the way, Jim said for me to say Tuscaloosa and the University of Alabama as many times as possible tonight. <laughs> so, but we rolled in about 1 o'clock in the morning, I think, and he, Jim was in another car, and he was calling us and kind of telling us what we were seeing. But, you know, where the tornado path had gone through as we were driving through there and at night y'all the the destruction was just ominous and and it was dark and we really couldn't tell what all we were seeing the next morning we broke into two groups and some of us were going to the debris fields and some of us were going to this huge distribution center and that was a place where a lot of companies had given supplies and a lot of people had given supplies and it had to be broken down and boxed and sent to Red Cross distribution centers all over the city. But um, I went with the group that went to the debris field, and, and y'all, what that is, is that's your neighborhood. That's the neighborhood you and I live in, but it's not a neighborhood anymore. And it's, um, as we, and the neighborhood was actually kind of behind the church we were staying in. We drove, it's real hilly there, and as we drove down and came up to the top of the hill, as far as we could see, it was nothing but piles and piles and piles of trash. And I mean 10, 15, 20 feet tall. And those were what were people's homes in the past. They were pushed up to the curb, just the trash and everything was pushed up to the curb. There was not a single tree to be seen in, the, in that area. And we could see a long way. Um, if your house was still standing, it, was, it wasn't inhabitable, and it was soon to be pushed up to the curb. These were the neighborhood we were in were like, I think of this neighborhood back here, huge old oak trees, 60 to 80 year old homes. So it was a very dense area, um, mobile homes, all of that. So, but what was kind of odd is when we got to the place where we were to turn, the place where we were going was a church 
And right in the middle of all this was this church, but it wasn't touched. It was, it was the only thing anywhere near, and it was virtually untouched by this tornado. So that's where we headed to get our instructions, and we got shovels and rakes and wheelbarrows. And we walked up to an area that they told us to go to, and our job was to take those shovels and rakes and clear out what the bulldozers didn't get. So literally it was down to the dirt, or if there was a concrete foundation of the house, we were literally to get everything up. Now, y'all, it's 90 degrees at least. It's not a single tree, so there's absolutely no shade. And it's red clay dust flying everywhere, and a bunch of desk jockeys out there doing all of this work. So we weren't used to it. It was hot and it was tiring, but but it, that is what we came for and that's what we were there to do. So before we got out of the van, Mark had these little cross crosses and it was something he'd give out to us. And we could, if we came across anybody, we could use those to introduce them to Christ and, and the salvation plan. So we stuck them in our pockets. But I could soon see that wasn't going to happen because... It didn't seem to me that there was anybody else out there but us, the guys on the bulldozers and the guys in the dump trucks. But um, later that morning, a husband and a wife came pulling up to this flat concrete pad, and that, that was their home, or it had been their home. And they told us about, while their whole house was being totally destroyed around them, how God protected them. And he did some pretty miraculous things. He, the man and his wife and his children were in the home. And when they got out, the man couldn't get out because there was so much debris on top of him. And he said, go call a neighbor. And the wife said, there's not any neighbors left. There's nothing left. Our whole and she didn't even tell him that the whole house was on top of him. She didn't want to scare him or scare the children. But as he was talking to us, you could, he told us that they were Christians, but their faith had been strengthened through, this, uh, through what they had been through because they knew that... Uh, God had protected them. But as they were standing there, they pointed and they t pointed to their neighbors' homes and what were their neighbors' homes and told us that 26 people in their neighborhood had been had died that during that tornado. Um, so then the next then that afternoon we went across the street to basically do the same thing and another couple came up and the wo the woman was telling us it was the first time that she had been back to the neighborhood, and it was where her mother's home had stood. Her daddy built the home 70 years ago, and her mother died there. So, uh, you know, it was a little different story than the other one, and there was a lot of that the whole weekend, you know, stories of celebration and then stories on the other side. But, but, but everybody we encountered in these families, they wanted to tell us their story. So we listened, and we cried, and we prayed with them. But, uh, it's, and then we went back to work cleaning and Jim said something that I think we all felt he said he says it feels like I'm trying to empty the ocean with a Dixie cup because it was so much destruction there and that's that's how overwhelming it was but that's also how it seemed like how big the hurt was there so but on Sunday we uh we got up and we went we were sleeping in a church and I'm and so we got up and kind of invaded the church. We went to their Sunday school classes and went to church. And then, and Gary, you'd be real proud of Mark and Jim. They got up in the choir and they were singing loud and proud. Although they had on their shorts and flowery shirts because we were leaving immediately to go back to work. So right after that, we went back to work at the debris field and the um, distribution center. 
So after we we worked there until I guess about five, and then we left, headed home. And uh, riding home that night, I was thinking about the weekend. And before I went, I kind of had this thought in my mind that we'd keep running into people that you know we could just witness to, and and uh, but it really wasn't that way. You know that we just get opportunity after opportunity. It really wasn't that way. You know, Mark, Mark showed us how to seize every opportunity because if anybody walked across his path, he stopped them and seized the opportunity to witness to them. But uh, for me personally, the trip convicted me that, that we stand before mighty God and our number one purpose on this earth is to serve him. blessing to hear those testimonies. Thank y'all. And Victoria, it was a confirmation to hear that victory in Jesus was meant for you tonight. We're going to continue singing hymn number 448. Just a closer walk with thee. We'll sing the first and second stanza only. Will you please stand as we sing? Father God, we just come right now, God, just uh, as a body of believers, dear Lord, just um, thanking you for everything that you've done for us, Father. Uh, you've blessed us tremendously, Father, um, and none better than that blessing of grace, Father. Uh, dear Lord, we owed a debt that we can never pay, Father, and you paid a debt that you never owed. Um, we love you, and we thank you for that, Father. Uh, we just come to you right now, dear Lord, just um, pray, dear Lord, that these offerings and these blessings that we give, Father, can just be used, dear Lord, for your purpose and for your glory, God. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen.
Thank you, Adult Ensemble, and um, thank you also, Victoria and Leah and Melinda. Just as uh, Victoria was encouraged by victory in Jesus, let me tell you, I'm going to take a point of personal privilege here before the message tonight and share what encourages me when I sit over here on this front pew. The Greek letters, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew letters for Yahweh, and I just drew this out on a piece of paper, I don't know if you can see it, is Y-H-W-H. You read backwards from right to left. Y-H-W-H. What's Yahweh? It's the name of God in the Old Testament. When I sit over here on this front pew, I don't know if you can see it, but in this oak grain, it looks to me like are the Hebrew letters Y-H-W-H. No one has probably ever noticed that before, or it probably doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it, you know how God gives you what you need to encourage you? And, uh, you know, I was talking earlier about how folks have worshipped God in this chapel, for a, or in this sanctuary for a hundred years, and uh, just, just to think, in my own mind, that the Hebrew letters YHWH are ingrained in the oak of this, of this pulpit means something to me, anyway. And I think that's, that's pretty good. Can y'all see that? Am I crazy? Okay. You can see it, but it doesn't... Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, victory in Jesus, confidence in Christ, it's the same thing. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 12. Let me just give you a couple things from this passage of Scripture that, um, that Paul found confidence in. I do not want any of us to live our Christian lives in fear or anxiety or uncertainty or doubt. When you look at Paul's life, how in the world, knowing what he went through and what he experienced, how in the world could he live with so much confidence. It's right here. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. Listen to this. There's a popular song. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I'm going to skip to verse 16 and read this too. So we do not lose heart, 
Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I was reading that passage in the message, that, that verse 16 and following. Listen to what he says in this translation. So we are not given up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we cannot see now will last forever. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we have the assurance of the power of the presence of the Almighty God living in us. And despite how things look around us, it is transient and temporary. And it will not ultimately defeat us. For the things that are unseen are eternal. And you have written those on our hearts. So help us to live victorious, confident lives in Christ. Of course, in his name we pray. Amen. Paul has been called a lot of things over the years. A lot of different labels attached to him. But one that I really like is someone described Paul as the ambassador of sunshine. Let me tell you why. He was the eternal optimist who left a trail of sunshine wherever he, wherever he went and confidence exuded. It was a major portion of his life. Now, I'm going to take just a few verses from some of his letters. Romans 8.37 and all these things we are more than conquerors who him, through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And while Paul and Silas are in stocks in the Philippian jail, what are they doing? They're singing hymns. The confident faith of Paul is the, is the theme of our scripture this evening. It, it backs up to chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. And then he goes on in chapter 4 to elaborate on that. This is the confidence we have in God through Christ. And I just want to tell you real briefly how those things are possible for Paul and what it can mean. Firstly, Paul says in verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul is encouraged because he has a sense of purpose. He's been given a ministry by God. He had a commission by God from God. He had a job that he was supposed to do. And it says in Galatians 1:15 that it was a job that he was called to even before he was born. And that purpose was the one source for his confidence in life. He knew that God's purpose for him, as I talked about with Samson this morning, that, that purpose would not be thwarted. It could not be stopped. And Paul began to live out God's purpose in his life. He had a reason for living, and it was given to him by God. 
And then down in verse 6, it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The phrase, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, what's that referring to? That's the creation, isn't it? It was darkness over the face of the earth, and God said, let there be light. And so, referring to God's creative power, it's able to bring all things into existence. And the fact that God made Paul in the beginning and created him in his image, that gave Paul confidence. And the second part of that verse says, who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That was referring to Paul's Damascus Road experience when at noonday the, the light shone so bright he was blinded. And that gave Paul confidence that he had a new life. And that was the third reason for his confidence in Christ. We have those same reasons for confidence. We've been created by God the Father. And when he creates us, he has a purpose for us. We have been saved and forgiven by his son, just as Paul was on the Damascus Road. Because sin crept in and ruined God's original image and his purpose for us. It left a bitter mark on our life, but God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And friends, God would not do that if we weren't important to him, if we were not of value to him, if we didn't have a purpose for him. Why do you think God would send his son Jesus to die for us unless he thought we were worth something, unless he realized our value and and marked his value? On us. And just as Paul was commissioned by God, so you and I are commissioned by God the Spirit. We have a purpose. God has called us just as He called Paul. So these three important biblical truths tell us the source of Paul's confidence. He created us, He converted us, and He's commissioned us. So we have value to God. So what can it do? Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. The result of confidence is not pride, but humility. A family was driving down the street one day and their five-year-old son was playing with the latch on the door. And this was when you could open doors from the inside and And the door accidentally opened, and the parents yelled to the boy to hang on to the door, hang on to it, until they could stop the car and avoid any serious injury. And the boy did. He held on to the door. And that night, his mother said to him, son, don't you think you need to thank God for saving you today? And he said, why should I thank him? I'm the one who held on. (laughs) I've known people who have survived a crisis And on the heels of the crisis, they attribute it to their own ability and to their own gifts. And and they attribute it to self-confidence instead of Christ's confidence. When they say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the emphasis is on I and not on Christ. And so Paul counters that. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And when he talks about earthen vessels, I think he's probably talking about these little clay vessels. Lamps that were prevalent in Paul's day. They were cheap. 
They were made of that little red clay that we have um, flower pots made out of today, those red clay pots. It's a little lamp. You pour oil in one side and then light a wick sticking out of the other side. And they were a dime a dozen in Paul's day. And he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are to be Christ's light in the world. We are merely vessels which contains the treasure. And the value lies not in ourselves but in the light that shines through us. And so any pride in ourselves is impossible. And secondly, Paul says the result of this confidence is not isolation, but but insulation. I love these verses, verses 8 and 9. Afflicted in every way, not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. What's he trying to say? He's saying that the confidence of the Christian life does not mean you're going to be isolated from trials and tragedies and difficulties. He says, but you're going to be insulated in the midst of them. Our faith does not remove us from tragedy, but it gives us the power to see it through. We may be afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, but God will not leave us alone and he will help us And lead us through it. And then finally he says in verse 12. Death is at work in us. But life in you. To Paul it's more important to serve. Than it is to perpetuate his own life. Lived out in the midst of suffering and trouble. And yes even death for Paul. His life was an inspiration to everyone he ministered to. His life became a source of life. To the, to the Corinthian Christians. And his confidence led not to a desire to preserve himself, but a desire to serve others. So every Christian can have confident faith if we know whose we are and what we've been called to do. And as we live out that faith in a confident spirit, it will demonstrate itself in three ways. There'll be humility before God. There'll be insulation from trouble, and there'll be service for others. We need people today who are willing to live out their Christian lives with that kind of confident faith. Not timidity, not fear, not foolishness, but faith in God through Jesus Christ, confident faith that makes living the kind of life that Paul lived possible. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather here tonight, we thank you that for many reasons we have hope and assurance and a purpose. And we have confidence. Even though we're just earthen vessels, there's something far more powerful within us that gives us a boldness to speak a Christian witness, to live a Christ-like life, and to put serving others ahead of even preservation of our own life itself. We see that kind of sacrifice lived out in our Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul. But it's so rare in the world today. 
It seems like the priority today is the bottom line and taking care of number one. Remind us that number one, oh God, is you. And to value all other things in our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 307 is just as I am. I hope that's an encouragement to you. To know that you don't have to do something before you come to Christ. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to jump through eight hoops. You don't have to earn 14 brownie points. There's nothing you can do to merit Christ's love. He says, just as you are, come to me. Come to me now. And he'll receive you and he'll begin the work of restoration that needs to take place in your life. If you have a decision to make.